Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malkin. Today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as... I have nothing more to say. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Sammy J. Thank you so much, Malky. I feel somewhat illegitimate being here on Humans of Twitter, but it is an absolute pleasure to be doing so nonetheless. Rubbish. Well, we can get to that in a second. I need to start by asking Sammy J, in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? In social settings, I would normally say something along the lines of, hello, I'm Sammy, or mm. if it's more of a personal sort of environment, potentially even, hello, I'm Sam. <gasps> wow. The, the shortened awesome. first name. Yes. Sammy Dave, a nickname that I gave myself at age 15. I was trying to um, give myself a bit of street cred around school, and uh, <laughs> it, it stuck. It's not a stage name. This is your real actual licensed name. Uh, very much so. I think the, the, the seconds that uh, Daryl Summers uttered it on, on Red Faces when I was 15 years old, I used it as a, a stage name, but it, um, it, it swiftly became a real name. And the full name is Samuel Jonathan McMillan. So there is a Sammy J hidden somewhere in there. The important thing is that we're learning about you, Sammy. We're learning. Can, can I call you Sam? Is that appropriate? It's, it's, Steve, whatever you call me, I shall respond to. Um, my wife calls me Sammy these days, so you know it really has become the, the go-to moniker. But uh, <laughs> I will take anything. Wow. Well, look, I'll I'll stick with Sammy that way. At least I'm as appropriate as your wife. Absolutely. <laughs> Sammy, how do you describe your experience of family? How do I describe my experience of family? Probably best summed up in a song that I've recently written for my uh, for my live comedy show which is called I'll See You in 17 Years and it's dedicated to all my friends without <laughs> it is uh, you know it's obviously you know it's, it's, it's I, I, I love family life we have two little girls and um, it's nothing but a source of, of, of joy it's also however uh, I think someone told me once before having kids that it would be like life but not as I know it and it's a wonderful encapsulation of the whole experience because it is something I would never wish on someone who wasn't you know keen on having a family because <laughs> it does control sure. But it's um it's the greatest. Your in in that context, do you find that your children uh, keep? I mean, you're in it. You're in a, a business where you are the stuff that you portray. You're thinking young as well as into some weird dark places. Do you find that your children help keep you thinking young? Yeah, absolutely. Just being in in that zone and having to answer questions that you and answer assumptions that you haven't even thought about for years and years and years, you know, you just sort of roll along mm-hmm. in that and become comfortable. And then these little bundles of energy turn up and just start pulling the rug out from under your feet at every opportunity and forcing you to justify things and explain things all, all, all anew. So it really is, I feel like it's, you know, I'm going back to childhood as well, as I'm sure all other parents would, would agree. Well, we got to appreciate some of that regression uh, last year, particularly with Sammy J's Playground Politics, where you, I don't know how you managed to, to do it, but you infused Australian politics and play school in the best possible way. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it was a bold move. Um, I really didn't think it was going to work as well as it did, but it was, um, you know, being in a position where I had the leader of the opposition playing with a doll of the Prime Minister in a play school parody. <laughs> I don't think my career will ever reach such dizzying heights as that. 
it was and a real challenge too because it wasn't just like well we've got a big run-up we're going to do a whole bunch of things uh, you know we can plan things and songs can be written with orchestral overtures and the rest of it you guys were by you guys i mean you and you were writing and delivering this within the sort of the space of 24 hours sometimes yeah that's right, and, and and I did have there were three of us writing it together to give credit where it's due. But yeah, we we were doing it, you know, writing by Skype at midnight the night before, and then busting these things out the next day, which I think is just creatively a wonderful lesson because yeah, you can spend years, and I have spent years working on other projects where you slave away and you question everything, and everything goes through heaps of processes of editing and everything. But this was just it was all about the energy for this show. You know, even if not every joke landed, I think people really mm. appreciated the fact that it was an honest creative pursuit and we were just throwing it out there each day and um something about that adrenaline was just incredible um being able to just as soon as i realized people were watching you know because i really thought it might just slip under the radar this show it was just that sort of online eye view thing as soon as we realized people were watching it and sharing it on facebook sort of had to keep the the pressure up and just try and deliver interesting stuff and um yeah it was a really it was a very special few weeks you know which i would not normally say about an election campaign but yeah for me it was a lot of <laughs> What feedback have you received from uh, either politicians themselves or political pundits that surprised you? Well, um, a, a lot of political types who I've met who have come to my shows and things have said that they, they watched it, you know, in, in, in the office and things like that during the during the campaign. I was about to say during the festival because I'm in such a, I'm a comedian and festivals are my normal stressful <laughs> periods. Maybe we should call elections festivals instead, Steve. That would be probably and i the prime minister has announced the festival will take place this year <laughs> the festival of malcolm <laughs> um but yeah look i think what i've what's been most probably what i'm proudest of is that it seems like the fans of the show really did um span the or in the, the spectrum of politics and so people from you know left and right and all that all all enjoying it i even saw one nation shared one of the episodes which you know it, was, it would never have been one of my particular career aspirations but the fact that we were <laughs> We're trying to be even-handed, if, if you can ever be even-handed in satire, and, and at the very least not letting any of my own prejudices and political leanings sort of get in the way of, of, of the joke. And so in that sense, I think people appreciated that, um, yeah, we were sort of sticking it to everyone. Even when we had Bill Shorten on as a guest at Christmas time, <laughs> you know, the number one rule for me was I still had to have some digs at him when he was there and he, was, he, he had mm. to make fun of himself. So, um, yeah, for me, that's probably uh, uh, the... It was nice to try and break out of that mole of just the classic ABC lefty sort of comedy um, and try to hit hit everyone. Surely, uh, you know, for you to be delivering, um, th- you know, this kind of political satire and those sorts of things, if one nation are sharing one of the episodes, that's got to mean they don't get it. <laughs> well, I can't even remember which one it was, but no, I think it was probably an episode where we were bashing Labor or something. And so in that <laughs> moment, they it, it worked for them. Uh, yeah. So, in that sense, I'm, you know, absolutely. And, and also, the other thing is, I think, and I probably was guilty of this as well of underestimating. Just people are, uh, you know, people are okay with jokes being made about them. You know, like, you know, yeah. as they say, good any publicity is good publicity. So clearly, you know, in, in a lot of the other episodes, I was quite scathing about, you know, Pauline Hanson and this and that. But in the same way, I was trying to be scathing about everyone because very few people in politics are, are above re, re, um, reproach. So. Yeah, uh, uh, that, that's also part of, I think, my whole specific interest in politics is trying to peel back those layers. And, and once you, uh, you know, you, you can vehemently disagree with someone, but I still, I, I don't think anyone in parliament is intrinsically evil. I think, you know, mm. many are 
misguided or pushing policies that I would never touch with a barge pole. But it's I find it more instructive to actually find out why the people have beliefs and, and discuss that through rather than just, you know, I, th- I think that's sort of the idea that you just shoot someone down and call them stupid and ignore them. That sort of messaging is how Donald Trump got elected because people yeah. underestimate people and, and rather than going, okay, these, these, these are smart people and they've got ideas that I really disagree with. So how is the, what is the best way to, to combat those ideas? You also had to dance down the very fine line that is the ABC's editorial policies because of the nature of your comedy, didn't you? Absolutely. And the ABC's editorial policies are, you know, they're they're fairly flexible in that I don't think my show did not have a requirement to be um, unbiased. Uh, It simply because they're able to even that up on other programs, if that makes sense. So so when it comes to ABC's policy, then they just have to be, you know, um, unbiased or fair and balanced across the board but that doesn't mean that one show can um knock that out and and for a comedy show that that would all effectively be death if you were told you had to be 50 percent of this and that because that really does inform the creative having said that for my own integrity it was a really important benchmark that i came in and as i said before was, was trying to be you know um give it to all sides or and not aggressively just just pointing out you know there is hypocrisy and you know shallowness on all sides of politics wherever you are and some of my specific joys were, were in the, the lefty sort of bashing because that is, you know, traditionally my sort of <laughs> crowd and history, you know, but that, that idea of being able to make fun of the, the left-wing echo chambers that existed and, and, you know, the destructive element of that as well. So I, I was less, it was less about the ABC to me and more about my audience and, and, and the fact that I really wanted, you know, to, to be entertaining everybody. And, and um, that's my job as a comedian, ultimately. I mean, I, I'll be quite happy to lose some audience members along the way, of course, but Broadly speaking, you know, if the more people who can, can enjoy the show together, then the more I'm achieving that idea of an, an open dialogue, I think. And, and let's be fair, it's not much of a gear change for a comedian who normally works drinking a juice box and working with a puppet to go and work with small dolls of politicians. Absolutely. It was, uh, if anything, the, the gear change was bringing it down even more because I, you know, my stuff with Randy in particular, that Randy the puppet is, is always very big, loud and, and bold and out there. Whereas for me, I, I never wanted this show that the first idea I had for, to, for a playground, for a play school parody was I didn't want it to be a making fun of play school. It was making fun of politicians. And so play mm-hmm. school is just the mode. And so that's why there's no over sort of overplaying it or, or anything. I, I, well, I, some may disagree, but but I'm just try, trying to do a very um, gentle, loving sort of tribute to that, that, that very gentle vibe of the show as well. Do we know where Richard Di Natale is? Well, he's not in his bed, Steve. That's all I know. He could have gotten into bed with anybody. Who knows? He um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I I I understand that 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 line has reached Richard Di Natale, and I'm not sure whether I'm his best friend or not. But time time will tell. <laughs> I love that it was a gag that ran through the entire series. Like, it wasn't just a, a moment. It was, the, you know, one of many, but certainly a highlight for mine to find out, well, where has Richard Di Natale popped up or gone to now that we're going to see him and surprise us? And it, it was delightful. There was, uh, I, I think you nailed the energy. You nailed the tone. And the thing I think that was most surprising was just how adorable some of those little um, puppets, and, and not puppets, but characters in dolls that you used as props were. Oh, thank you. It was, yeah, I think that, just, just that sheer, the, 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 as we started the chat about the, the childlike sort of nature of it all, but yeah, being able just to gently play with a doll of Bill Shorten or someone. And that Richard Natale, the bed joke, you know, that came out of one line that was written for this one episode. In fact, 
so there was one one episode called The Thirsty Little Knife, which was a test episode yes. that we filmed, where where I'm reading a very gentle storybook all about this bloodthirsty knife that all the leaders <laughs> knife their own leaders. So it was that was the sort of test episode we shot to show the ABC the the, the vibe of the show, and um, we had it sitting there thinking, oh, that's great, we can roll that out, you know, give ourselves a day off during the election campaign and have this episode ready to go. Mm. Um, and on the Thursday of that first week, whenever it had been watched a lot, our show and Adam Band had been a guest and so on, um, that horrible incident with Joe Hall in London occurred where oh, a politician yes. was stabbed and to, to death. And um, obviously we instantly thought, well, we, we're not, we, we can't put out this knife book. You, you know, a lot of people might not have made the connection, but it's not something I was keen to yeah, risk. Yeah. So we thought, okay, we'll save that one for a few more weeks. And we had to very quickly write a new episode, and that episode became the, the putting the politicians to sleep episode when all the politicians are lined up in their beds, and one of my favourite ones because it just had this lovely little energy. And, and that's simply because of that sketch is where the Richard Dinatale joke came from, and then that became an ongoing thing. So, again, it's, it's that, that when, you're doing, when you're doing short-term, quick-delivery comedy, you have all these sudden things that pop up, and, and in the course of three weeks you can create these little running jokes that just wouldn't have happened and we still we ended up sneaking in the thirsty little knife as the second last episode right at the end when we're all just exhausted mm. and and so we did still <laughs> but yeah just that I, I love it's it's just like a little tree growing you don't know which branches are going to sort of take over and, and become bigger parts are you doing what sammy J of year 11 thought he would be doing uh i am doing what sammy J of year 11 hoped he would be doing yeah. I, um and probably by then i had enough, um, you know, misguided confidence in what I what I was doing that I probably by then thought it was going to be my job. I think, you know, my, my comedy, the comedy bug bit me in it like at age 13, 14, and then I was fairly, just fairly uh, adamant about that throughout high school. Like by, by year 12, if you'd asked my uh, friends or, or people at school what I was going to do or what I wanted to be, they would have all said comedian because I was just that, at times, very annoying attention seeker who was always trying to write songs about teachers and things like that. So, um, and I was specifically interested in, in, in politics and satire, although, you know, I didn't, I wasn't very good at it in, in year 11. But yeah, I think um, if I'd jumped ahead and seen myself, yeah, playing with dolls for a, a, a job, albeit a short job, then I would have been um, quite happy with that. How did the relationship with Randy the puppet start? Because he wasn't in year 11 with you. No, Randy and I, and I hasten to add, um, I'm no ventriloquist as many assume. I wish I was that talented, but Randy is his own person. <laughs> uh, Randy and I met at a comedy night in Melbourne, um, which is, we feel very lucky because a lot of these, these days, a lot of, you know, people are forced together by producers or TV shows in a rather artificial yeah. environments. But Randy, Randy the Puppet was emceeing a comedy night on Smith Street in Collingwood in 2005, and I was the guest, I was one of the guest comedians. So... Um, it was this moment where he just introduced me on stage and we had a bit of banter and we, we laughed at each other's stuff and then I did my solo spot. And afterwards we caught up and, and met each other and then said hi. And then six months later we were on the same bill again so we did a bit more mucking around. And it was a very, very organic meeting where we just liked each other's comedy and our jokes and we also, I think, uh, complimented each other very well because Randy was you know, this big out there puppet who was yeah. doing big rants and I was this you know, totally nerdy you know, half aware, half unaware sort of nerd um, in my oversized suit, drinking a juice box and playing songs standing up at a keyboard. So, you know, maybe in reality, no one else in the world would have us except each other. So we, we, we clung to each other and it, it began a, a lot of fun adventures. 
Well, it's, it's led to some glorious anarchy that people have seen on stage or even on television. Um, the, the, the stuff that you guys have put together has been so much fun to see. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to see you guys live earlier this year. And that was, I mean, I've seen a bit of comedy in my time. It was just amazing to watch the physical element of comedy that comes with a human man and a puppet. And yet there's those wonderful elements of slapstick. There's excellent punchlines and throwaway gags and acknowledgements that maybe that joke didn't work as well as it did in our heads. And, and all of the fourth wall breaking stuff that happens uh, all encapsulated in this delightful little tale of your and Randy's relationship. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm very glad, you know, that certainly everything you just said is what we, we, we try to achieve. And, and, you know, it's, it's up to individual audience members as to whether we, 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 we get there, but it's certainly for us, it's, yeah, you know, but when I'm doing a show with Randy, these sort of theatrical shows that we do, the live shows, it's just, it's sort of like all our Christmases have come at once because we get to sing, we get to jump around. There's a storyline, but we can break the story and talk to the audience. And so mm. there's no real joy quite like it. And all of that is what we, you know, attempted to bring to it when we, when we turned the show into a sitcom for the ABC, um, which was a fairly audacious sitcom. I think the further we get away from it, because it came out a few years ago now, we, we, we realised how ambitious it was because we were, you know, it, it was a musical sitcom with a puppet in it. It was absurd. And, and, and we had songs in each episode and things. And, um, you know, that was our best representation on screen of, of our style of, 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 of comedy and humour, which is just fun, silly, stupid, and um, hopefully with some, some heart tucked away in the backing as well. I cannot recommend enough if anybody's listening and interested to track it down to go and get the, the series, probably from ABC Shops on DVD or something somewhere. It's probably on iTunes. Ricketts Lane is a joy um, for the absurdity of the acknowledgement that a puppet lives. I mean, it's kind of the Muppets, but on a on some weird acid um, where the, the straight man is this wonderful little nerdy guy. It's so good. We, we, our first rule was really we had to make a very early decision as to whether Randy was the only puppet in the show or whether there'd be other, you know, a, more of a, a mm. muppety sort of world. And we thought, no, the way we've always written, we write our scripts as if it's two humans, you know. Randy happens to be a puppet, yes. but we don't want to... That joke will only get you two laughs from the audience before it sort of stops being funny and they expect, you know, good comedy. And so we did the same with the, with the sitcom. We wrote the episodes. It's an odd couple, fairly classic setup with, you know, odd couple living together and... and I as Sammy J is, you know, the, the, the straight sort of anal one and Randy's the, the hard-drinking one with the ex-wife. And, um, yeah, so there is never there, – there are no puppet jokes in the entire six episodes. It's all um, – mm. it is all – he's just treated like a regular regular Joe. It's, oh, it's so fun. Neil Simon would be spinning in his grave were it not so funny. <laughs> um, it's, it's delightful. And, and thank you. And, and I still can't get over the, the sheer nature of slapstick live on stage with a puppet and how well it works. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. We, we, you know, we, we look, we're going to be doing a lot more together. I think Randy and I always do our own solo projects as well so that we can never feel forced together, which is a huge part of our collaboration i think because we, we we never wanted to have some dramatic breakup or something or just go our own ways we just have breaks now and then and it means we'll always want to work together well that's right because traditionally uh if by the time you make a television series i uh, like leno and woodley you then have to have your breakup tour and it's done exactly or a john farnamy you know just constantly returned um so we you know we, we, we still have some grand plans ahead of us uh so there's no putting aside the man-puppet duo just yet. Sammy Joe, where do you find your peace? 
That is a deep, deep question, Mark. That is a deep question. Yeah. I find my peace. Wow. There are so many... As, as, the comedian in me just wants to give a smart-ass answer, but the man who is enjoying this <laughs> just wants... Well, look, if I had a simple answer, I'd be a more peaceful person, uh, <laughs> Steve. Um, <laughs> but, you know, look, it's, it's all about family for me. That, that's where, you know, I, I, these days, uh, one of the great other offshoots of family is the, the hanging up of ambition or certainly the curtailing of it. So, uh, for example, I have... You know, I've spent many years going to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival... Um, each year and the last year or two I, I haven't been or I've just dropped in once because I have no ambitions in the UK I've sort of realised with a, <laughs> a thud like I, I don't want to be travelling to, to England or, or, or living Ooh. there when, when I'm based here in Australia with, with a family so, and nor do I want to be away from, from, from the kids so um, my piece is, is yeah, carving out that time and, and trying to better say no to things in, in, in my job which is tricky because when you any artist, whatever the art form, you know, it's 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 a tricky job. You're a small business and you're trying to pay the bills and everything. And so uh, it's it's a very strange feeling to say no to work, but it, it it is necessary for that piece that you mentioned because otherwise you, you would just be working nonstop because there is always an extra job you could do or, or money to be made somewhere. I, I was expecting you to say that you find your piece in the last place that you look. <laughs> well, that would have been a much funnier answer, but we're going to reverse roles. I'm going to be the thoughtful podcaster today, and you will be the comedian. Tell us a joke. Tell sure. us a joke. Come uh, on, Marty. Two horses walked into a bar. <laughs> no, I have nothing. <laughs> what do your kids say that you do? Uh, one of them is very young, so she says very little at all. Uh, but my four-year-old, mm. she knows I'm a comedian. She knows I work with Randy. She likes Randy more than me, which is fair enough. Uh, Naturally. And um, she's just started realising that it's uh, it's quite funny to, to <laughs> ask whether or not the audience laughed at me or not and then offer her condolences. <laughs> if, if <they'd> <laughs> oh, that's brutal. <laughs> it's brutal, but it's, 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 it's lovely. But, and, 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 and the politics stuff as well. Yeah, the playground politics was great because, you know, with the exception of the knife episode, it was all actually quite kid-friendly. So um, mm. fun way of seeing what Daddy does. Yeah, my, my daddy makes people laugh for a living. Yeah, sure, love, but what does he really do? <laughs> he's in jail. <laughs> Mummy tells me that he's gone away. <laughs> How do they manage with dad being on the road, which you have to be for your job around the country stuff? You know, we, we do it, uh, you know, my, my wife can take a vast deal of credit for times that I'm away um, with two kids, but it's I, I limit my trips these days to four or five nights at a time um, and, and really travelling as little as I can, so when the family can travel with me so at the Adelaide Fringe everyone was over for a week with me and so on but um mm. yeah no it's it's uh you know I'm very much a, a Melbourne based uh human and that is my home and so I'll, I'll travel if and when required but um yeah as far as peace goes it's, it's just it's just back at home and then finding the time to, to create stuff and stuff for the screen and for tv is obviously much more efficient use of my time because I, I'm used to seen by more people um and you don't have to travel, which is probably why I should actually be on Twitter in the end, but alas. <laughs> I'm glad that you've raised it because it, it is the, the proverbial elephant in this conversation. You have a wonderful profile photo. You've even gone down the path of putting in a bio and who you are, like that sort of stuff. Not a tweet. Not one. It's disappointing, honestly. Well, you tell me. Uh, the number of angry theatre producers who who asked me to retweet things or, or tweet things. <laughs> and say, look, I'm sorry, but I just don't tweet. It's 
that is it's it's effectively my own artistic project of how long I can keep a tweetless page going. Well, this is the delightful thing because it is that you have, like, I understand that some people who are in the spotlight choose not to engage in some or various or all forms of social media. That's cool. Free world, knock yourself out. However, you've set up an account and not tweeted. And I think I'm up to, I've got a good amount of followers. I'm still trying to get more followers, of course. I think, in fact, talking about this, this is my, it's my my happy spot. It's the spot, it's just a tiny, tiny moment of silence in the horrid war that is humanity on Twitter. And I like to think that my, (laughs) my page is just a moment of respite. People can just go there and just breathe out, just breathe in the the peaceful serenity that I'm offering. Your your Twitter with Sundays. People just go there to relax. Exactly. Just takes just to take some time out. I have nothing against Twitter, um, but I feel like there are enough people out there uh, tweeting <laughs> that my absence <laughs> is not going to be noted or cared for. <laughs> you you were intending to tweet at at one point though, weren't you? You did set it up with the intention that you would do something. Yes, this is my sort of the great, the original sin that has led to this silent Twitter page um, because I, I'd been on Twitter for a couple of years without tweeting and I kept telling people via my Facebook page on which I'm very active. So there's another yes. um, inconsistency with my online presence. Uh, but I was telling people to keep an eye on my Twitter page because I was going to tweet um, some pretty sweet, uh, like, like the best tweet in the world. I was going to dr- drop one tweet and walk away. And I wrote the tweet and I, I brought the tweet with me to the Edinburgh Festival in, um, I believe this was 2014, and I was live, sort of live streaming it via photos on my Facebook page mm. at, at Dubai International Airport when I was intercepted <laughs> by security. Um, <laughs> the full story can be seen on my Twitter page because I've linked the mm. article in my, um, in my bio, but it became a news item because I did get stopped and they did confiscate my tweet. <laughs> 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 to be fair, I'd put it in a box. I put it in a little box that said "Do not open," and I'm walking around the airport taking photos. <laughs> so it was—I can see in retrospect how it might have aroused suspicions. But then I had to like fill out like a lost property because they took it off me. I just had a lost property form and try and get it back on the way back. But then they'd read my Facebook posts, calling them all assholes. <laughs> it was just this <laughs> amazing comedy. Various as a comedian, I appreciated it so much. But there was a brief moment where my mum was. My sister had texted mum and said, you know, Sammy's in trouble in Dubai. And she's like, what? <laughs> um, so the tweet uh, it, well, it still exists or maybe it was thrown away at a, at a, in a back office in Dubai. Um, and I stand tweetless in Seattle. Look, there's a sequel that needs to be made. <laughs> a, a remake of, a, of a, a classic, a modern classic that needs this revelation a la Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I, look, if you, if you fund it, I will come. Oh, surely we could kickstarter this. I mean, that's what—that's how people do things nowadays, isn't it? Crowdfunding. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, look, I've got—I've got a number of incredible, genius, creative projects in plan, Mark, and, and I don't want you to race to the front with your ill-thought-through tweet <laughs> sequel. I've got—I want to make my musical first, and Randy and I have a movie to make. We'll take everyone's money first for those things. Yeah, get in line, buddy. <laughs> Without you revealing. The tweet, because I think this is now lost to the ages in the grander sense. Can you remember what you'd written that was to be your tweet? I have no comment about my tweet other than it was the most beautiful tweet and had it been made public, I dare say Twitter would no longer exist. 
You can't remember it, can you? Yeah, it was just punctuation and smiley face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Sammy J, given the choice beyond the TV show that you have created as a vehicle for your own ego, what reality TV show would you love to star in? Oh, wow. I can comprehensively say a reality TV show set three kilometres from my house in a small cardboard (laughs) box where the crew and producers have been locked in until the end of the reality TV show, meaning they will have no chance whatsoever to involve me whatsoever in their reality TV show. <laughs> I will be happily be a uh, co-sponsoring producer on that one. You're not a fan? Uh, each to their own, and I, 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 I love uh, <laughs> I love watching reality, of course, but personally speaking, of course not. I'm, uh, I'm, <laughs> as a performer, I'm all about control. I write my shows, I put them on stage, or I put them on screen. Everything is completely manufactured from my end. Why on earth would I let a TV producer, of all people, of all people, a TV producer have any control over my image? No thank you, Mr. Mock. No thank you. <laughs> Let's let's hypothesize. Let's imagine into the future. It's 2024. Sammy J and Randy have long since broken up because Randy has had to take a position in the UN. Sammy J hasn't been able to hit the same comedic marks. He's struggling. He's doing five minutes on the AFL footy show. Uh, and people are... Well, I wouldn't say they're enjoying it, but they're acknowledging that he still exists. A producer comes to you and says, Sammy J, we'd like you to appear on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Yes or no? Well, you have failed to factor in the fact that shortly after performing my first comedy performance on the AFL football show, which we Mm. have to, of course, assume went terribly because I'm nor the performer for that crowd, nor are they the crowd for this performer. (laughs) I would have undoubtedly driven my car from the Channel 9 car park and straight off the nearest bridge. So your hypothetical... Uh, arrived dead on arrival, Stephen. <laughs> and I will never have to make that choice. But sure, well, by 2024, we will have at least worked out how to reanimate people or breathe life into their corpse such that, you know, the, the, the rotting corpse of Sammy J is being asked to appear on now, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Now, hang on. I... I... I will come at the idea of a reality TV show simply entitled The Rotting Corpse of Sammy J. And what is <laughs> this is just a live feed of my rotting corpse for 45 minutes plus ad breaks each day of the week mm-hmm. and all the vile, vitriolic Twitter comments that people can make, hashtag Sammy J's corpse, and they can just be watching it decompose over time. Uh, I think it's very much an SBS sort of show. I don't think the commercials would go mm-hmm. for it. But this is a reality TV because it's, it's, it's a reality TV show that is based in actual reality. It's, it's dealing with the big themes, death, decomposition, you know, are we ever mm-hmm. truly here? What happens to us when we die? Now, that is a reality TV show I'd be proud to be involved in. I mean, it doesn't do much in the first act, but once we push through into the second, when, uh, you know, the bugs start to appear through your skin, now we're getting into the meaty parts of things. Oh, it's incredible. And then when the lawyers arrive and say I was actually buried in the wrong plot, so they have to sort of excavate my, my corpse, you know, it's really – it becomes almost a legal drama. Yes. And and then when you bite other people and they themselves turn into uh, the walking dead without infringing any kind of copyright, all of a sudden, boy, do we have a denouement ahead of us. Now, Mark, the problem is now I'm so keen to watch this that I think we have to find someone else to play the rotting corpses every day because <laughs> I want to produce this show and make a squillions of it. So anyone listening who is volunteering to play my corpse, please be in touch. 
perfectly timed. It's very hot button. It's a right now issue, Sammy J. Maybe Playground Politics too. The rotting corpse of Sammy J. <laughs> that sounds much like our Parliament in general. So I think it would be a perfect fit. What are you going to achieve in the next twelve months? Um, a good politician never reveals their policies. <laughs> I do not want to put on record all my grand plans because then you will hold me to account in 12 months, Steve. So let's just say, hopefully, I will make some of your listeners laugh in some on-stage or on-screen form. Uh, but if I don't, then it was all part of the plan. Mm, good planning. Excellent sizzle. Not a lot of steak. <laughs> I have a book. I'm writing a book. I'm doing a, some more Playground Politics. I'll be writing a live show and hopefully a live album. Great. Well, just casually, in your spare minutes, it sounds like you've got some time up your sleeve. <laughs> Here and there, between, you know, nappies and, and life. Gosh. Man, well, that, that would be great to see that and to, to be able to hear that. I won't hold you to account. What I will do is go and consume all of those things, and I'm sure tell all of the people just how great they are. Well, you are nothing if not a firm supporter, and the minute you turn on me, Steve, is the minute that uh, the decomposing corpse of Sammy J will go into production. So I need your support at all times. <laughs> Well, is this where we suddenly learn that it's actually going to become the rotting corpse of Randy and ah. this was us just testing it for an audience yeah, just before we actually get someone to do it? Bit of market research, just putting some feelers out. Mm. Hey, Sammy J. Yes. Thank you so much for the chance to speak with you today. Please know the things that you said are not only very special, but that you're highly valued. Thank you. I appreciate that. And please know that um, much like my strange resistance to Twitter, I... Normally, also don't do podcasts, but you, my friend, are an exception because I very much value your zest for life, your enthusiasm, and your support. So thank you to you, and thank you to your listeners uh, who have got this far in our conversation. Well, you're very generous. Thank you. If people wanted to follow you in appropriate internet-based manners, what is the best way for them to do so? Well, naturally, I'm a person of Twitter, and um, they can find me on Twitter. (laughs) for quite a time. Uh, The more active page would be Sammy J Comedian. Just search for me on Facebook. And uh, I have a lot of fun on that page doing all sorts of things like licking parliamentary buildings and plugging my Mm. tours and things that are one of which I'm I'm in the middle of doing at the moment. And so we, um, yeah, I I treat my online audience with much love and affection. And I try to deliver as much entertainment as, as, you know, shameless plugs as well. So it would be lovely to see some more people there. It's great also to see the ghost who walks popping up and staying relevant in, uh, in the, you know, 2017. Indeed. My, my current live show, Hero Complex, is all about my love of the Phantom as a kid. Um, and so anyone who's ever had a strange interest in something that was not cool will appreciate this, this nerdy little tale. <laughs> this conversation hasn't turned out any way like I expected it to, Sammy. You know that, don't you? How so? In that, our conversations preceding this, and I'm, I'm now breaking the podcast fourth wall, where we had talked about this and you said, yeah, yeah, let's just do it and it'll be like, you do the intro and you'll have some big storm off over the fact that I don't actually tweet why you're talking to me and leave and that would be the end of the podcast after about 30 seconds. And we've done, like, an excellent, very solid 35, 36 minutes. Well, you know, you charmed me and I enjoyed our chat and... I suspected that if I had stormed off, then you and I would have found it funny, but your listeners might have ended up thinking, Sammy J, what an asshole. 
I'm on that note, speaking, <laughs> Pat, I cannot believe, I cannot believe that you just broke the fourth wall and told people about our private conversations. In fact, I am so angry, Stephen. I think you know where this is heading. I am so angry, Mog, that I am going to leave this conversation right now. So good day, sir, to you and your listeners. I'll see you all on the empty blank canvas that is my Twitter account. Bye-bye. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Sammy J underscore comedian is indeed human. <laughs>